Hey, what's going on? Happy Easter. It's Rico here, CEO of Source Finasia, co-host of the Made in China podcast and the host of the Source Finasia YouTube channel. Should probably be more uh, non-denominational for the Made in China podcast listeners that uh, aren't, you know, don't celebrate Easter. But in this episode, I had the honor, the privilege to sit down with Brian Peration, who was the lead hardware developer at Prodigy Game is in a different department of the company now. Um, but, you know, he was my, our main point of contact with Prodigy. Prodigy was our first client and they are a Toronto, Burlington, technically born startup. Uh, you can't call them a startup anymore, but they are a educational software game. It's a tech company that was developed by Rohan, founded by Rohan Mahimkar and Alex Peters. Rohan is one of my best friends in life. And I met him back in 2011 when he just graduated from from Waterloo in mechatronics. And then I was just, I think I was probably like two years into college at the time, something like that. Um, and, you know, we met just going out. We met through mutual friends in Toronto and our whole connection at the time was just trying to chase ladies and <laughs> and have a good time with our buddies and that, but that was not the only reason why we connected we connected on our whole group really and i've had a couple other guys on the on the podcast from the group like like Nick Nerov, um Noam Lightstone, Ryan Mulvihill, i think Ryan was in like the first batch of episodes but we connected on entrepreneurship and and an interest in self improvement and travel and things like that, and that's how we became good friends. You know, there's a lot of people that you meet in college that you go out with, you know, to go out with chasing girls, but you don't end up, you know, no, you don't end up becoming best friends and you know doing business together seven years later, right? So, or I should say, at the time it was four years later. So, anyways, they were our first client and. Brian was our main point of contact at the beginning. Rohan was involved. I th- I want to say between the first six to eight months of communication, Rohan was involved. And you know, this episode is a deep dive on not just what happened in the story. It's a two and a half to three hour podcast that me and Brian did, where we discussed some of the, some of the mistakes, the processes, what we learned. Um, we successfully produced nine original designs, PVC figurines. The first toy took a year and a half of development. I think six months before they brought us on board, and then a year after we we had to shift factories three times to finally get it right. And then from there, it took us like six months to do another four original designs, and then even less to do another four. So you know, we obviously learned a lot from the initial process, and these guys were a huge part of our growth, a huge part of the reason why we're here today. And you know, it's awesome to. To have had him on the podcast to be able to revisit, you know, we worked together for about two and a half years, and you know, then their company, even though the toys were successful, they decided to focus resources in a different direction. So, in this episode, in part one, we basically covered the beginning, you know, all the trials and tribulations, and finally finding the main factory that we were going to end up working with for the next year and a half, two years, and. In part two, I think we discuss more of the the first successful production run, how that went, how we systemized things with the factory, the development of further toys, how we sped up the development. And then in part three, we kind of summarized the further growth and sales of the product and the improvements in design and quality and, and, and how both of a, 
the companies grew and the systems grew around the manufacturing space. So without further ado, enjoy. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Yeah, man. So talk to me about the, you know, we started working when you had already started communicating with factories and stuff. But what happened before that? When did you decide to start making toys? I remember I'd, I'd spoken to Rohan. Yeah. Um, I think I'd spoken to Rohan maybe like two years prior and you talked about creating hardware in China. That's how I even ended up finding out about what was going on because I approached him and I was like, are you guys still thinking about making hardware in China? Yeah, exactly. It became a different project altogether. So I got hired initially when Prodigy was way in the infancy, employee number six. And the whole concept of Prodigy was to use motion-based learning. Mm-hmm. So effectively, where they had the initial concept was to have a biometric sensor, which measured your sweat effectively to infer how much stress you're experiencing while playing the game and therefore adjust the questions in the game to match your stress level so that if it's too boring, you're not sweating a lot, therefore the questions would get harder and if you know, you're know you sweating because you're anxious or it's too difficult, then the game can detect that and scale back. So to kind of bring it to market, uh, they need someone to help design and develop this sensor to such that it's like more consumer friendly. So effectively, if we needed to make it more wireless, uh, last the, at least the duration of the session of the game and user friendly, meaning kids are using it, can they you know, interact with it properly, etc. So a lot of things we kind of had to figure out. So the first approach to all this was to create a prototype and we didn't have a prototype yet. So I was hired to kind of complete their prototype, their initial idea to even see if it's feasible to make sense of any of the data we're getting from the kids to make it usable in the game, etc. So from January 2014 to like June, July timeframe, that's when I was finalizing their um, design. Even at that point though, we were working with China to manufacture the 3D printed casings and um, the PCBs. We did work with like, um, I think we found them through Alibaba or one of those services where they say, we'll make custom work for you. Just send them their the designs and the unit price is quite high, but you know, it's for prototype purposes, it's still quite worth it because we can't manufacture that in-house. So mm-hmm. by the time we got to June, July, we tested in schools. We saw that the way we're using it was not the way the technology was designed to be used. So effectively, we're using lie detection technology to assert the or figure out what the students' emotions were. But in lie detection tests, you like you only have one stimulus. The kid or the user or the person being questioned has only the question as the stimulus. But when you put it on kids, they're being yelled at by teachers. Kids are um, playing with them or getting their attention. And so when we see that stress on measured on the wrist it won't be correlated well to the game because it could happen from anywhere externally. So it was at that point we kind of saw that the market might not be there or technology is not as you know hard or refined. So it was at the same time, though, around that time where Skylanders and um, Disney Infinity was booming with their multi-billion dollar product, which is Skylanders, the toys that... I think the series of toys is called Toy to Life, effectively. So it's like a toy that has an NFC tag at the bottom and you put it on one of their readers and then that toy gets brought into their game and you play with and interact with that character in game. And so we thought like we have a game very similar to that mechanic 
if we can find a way to, you know, bring uh, or manufacture a toy that a kid can buy, then they can uh, load that toy into our game and then they can buy this custom or a special character physically such that it can increase our capacity to generate revenue considering that our original model or, or our only existing financial model at the time was our membership model. Yeah, so it wasn't until uh, around that time frame, so August, September, we're starting to kind of think of branching or starting in, to go into the toy side of things because the market size is really big there. And so if kids are willing to spend money on any random toys, why not? Or at least we felt like parents would be more willing to spend on toys that were more education centric because, um, yeah, it's like we're taking money away from there. I, I guess I don't have to comment on that too much, but... Anyway, so we felt like it was a good decision to kind of tap into onto that trend. So before consolidating all of this into our final plans, uh, I guess that's not the right way to say it, but to kind of make sure that this is the right way to go, uh, we knew the outcome could be quite huge, but we want to make sure that we're doing all of this work for the toy side. Because investing in physical products is such a huge investment, we want to make sure we progress through the toy development very incrementally to make sure that we're validating our assumptions properly because we don't even know how much it will cost to get that product to the user. And so we have to make sure the equation balances on both ends, meaning all of our expenses will be repaid back when we actually sell these toys. Like, Do we actually have a a way to make these toys and a price point to sell these toys such that we'll still make money uh, in a meaningful way? So first of all, what we had to do when we start off to kick off this project was to figure out what is it actually going to cost to make a toy because we had no clue whether it's going to be rotocasting or injection molding. What materials are we going to use? How are we even going to get the toy to go into the game? Like, How do we do that NFC part to go into the game without having to build the whole NFC reader because other products like Skylanders and Disney Infinity had their own readers that interface with the the computer, but we had to kind of do pros and cons of like, well, we don't want to go into electronics and have to do warranties on that. And there's a lot of more room for error or like more risk to have failures if we add more complexity to our product. So we want to minimize the complexity. So that's kind of how we decided to ultimately go with the code-based approach to enter into your computer, because that was the minimal amount of work we can do to get that same effect. So it took around from September to March, we spent that time to kind of figure out, all right, what let's let's see what's the minimum amount of investment we can do to figure out how much it will cost to make a toy. And so mm-hmm. instead of developing a whole different new character, we decide to use an existing character we had in game because any new characters we'll produce will have similar amount of detail and characteristics that we can just use an existing one so we don't have to waste time making a whole new character. And we just found a um, 3D artist on Behance, I think it's called Behance now. It used to be called something else before. But um, effectively, it's just find, finding a freelanced work online using a managed platform. And it's like, it's like Upwork. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like similar to that. So we got them to do uh, one of our existing characters. And uh, that took, uh, well, I guess within that, we had like negotiations. And also keep in mind, we're back then, we weren't making too much profit. So anytime we spent money, it was always like, double, triple checked, or like we would like negotiate for like differences of 10 to $50 just to make sure we minimize our expenses on this. So ultimately we're able to negotiate for like a reasonable price uh, on our 3D modeling. Uh, Again, we don't know if it's properly modeled for injection molding or any kind of manufacturing process. It's just that 
yeah, we think this model looks good. Um, and so that's what we took to the first manufacturer we found. Uh, we managed to find our first manufacturer by going onto Alibaba again. And we just looked for different types of toys that we can find on their webpage or their uh, Alibaba page to see if their toy matches what we want to do. Before we, uh, we go further into that, and before sure. I forget, uh, obviously a lot of things have changed since we, we started working on the project. And you know, congratulations, you're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> were, you, were, you even, uh, were, you, were you even living with your fiancé at the time? Um, during 2014? Yeah. No, that's, um, so let's see, 2015, 2016. Yeah, so it wasn't until two years later we were moving in. So, yeah, like, um, I don't know, like, what's the, uh, I guess the answer is no. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this question. So No, 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 it's just, I, I just, I, I, I wanted to say it earlier, but then I, I didn't want to forget. Um, all right, so at this time, you guys are beginning to search on Alibaba. Like, what were you, I guess... Um, what were you using as a reference? Like, what what information did you have? Did you Google search how to find suppliers in China? Like, how you know what were you? What information were you using to to work off of and, and talk to suppliers? Yeah, so because we already had some light experience on working with Chinese suppliers through Alibaba to get our electronics and three D printing samples done, uh, we kind of thought knew that kind of marketplace was available to us. But we didn't know in terms of, you know, if we ever had to scale up, we never had that experience of knowing if that's going to be suitable. Because, spoiler alert, we later found out that a lot of people on Alibaba are brokers and therefore not always looking for the best prices for you specifically. Like, obviously, ultimately, the price will seem reasonable, but there's a better improvement you can do by removing that middleman. So, yeah, for so up until that point, we knew it was possible to find or source people or manufacturers through Alibaba. But it was pretty difficult for us to kind of work in their time zone. Response times were kind of delayed. So I, I guess while we're looking for suppliers during that initial phase, we knew we could use Alibaba to source our existing uh, manufacturers because we had prior experience with it relating to our uh, 3D printed prototypes for our wrist watch or the wrist sensor that we had as well as uh, the electronics. So we're pretty confident knowing that there are there's a marketplace available for us to tap into. So that's why once we started emailing out to those suppliers, there was a bit of broken English in terms of correspondence, but it didn't seem too debilitating to a point where we can communicate. Like I ask a question and I get roughly the answer I want and it seemed to be good enough for me to progress further to get to the next step of, you know, like what are my options, et cetera. Uh, during this whole process, though, my it was actually funny. My first thought or impression of how to make these toys was just to use rotocasting because it seemed like it would use the least amount of plastic and um, and such. But it turns out that that was probably not the best choice. So it kind of hindered my ability to actually progress further faster because I was already looking perhaps in the wrong manufacturing process altogether. And manufacturers, or at least the ones I was talking to, were always like, oh, this is what we want? Okay, let's keep working with this. As opposed to being like, oh, maybe this one would be better for you because this is what you're trying to get to. So it could be that the people I'm working with weren't totally domain experts. Maybe they're just uh, salespeople trying to connect you to the people you're looking for. But ultimately, I would need someone to really help me out with figuring out what I need to work on. Or I I guess it would have been good to have someone who understood the complexity or what I was trying to go for. If I said, oh, I want this to be like scavengers and be like, oh yeah, I know all these suppliers that 
do similar toys and you, here you, you you can use this kind of technology or this kind of manufacturing process to do it and i'd be like saving like a few months of guesswork i guess that depends on uh, how early on you bring a expert onto the project like because like, yeah, I've definitely had clients um, who have approached me and said, hey, I want to find a supplier that makes you know, this kind of product. And then they show me like, you know, some big companies, brand or whatever, or like they'll send me some Amazon links. And then more, more times than not, we're actually able to find the exact supplier that, that they oh, work with. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And then sometimes you find the exact supplier and the supplier is like, we don't want to work with you because <laughs> we, we have an exclusivity agreement with right. <laughs> this yeah. big company. Um, yeah, what a waste. Yeah. But actually, I want to point out there's actually an interesting parallel of what I'm doing right now and with how what kind of service you guys provide was mm-hmm. um, so with data science, uh, what we found out in our company within our company is that we often were asked to look at, into certain like statistics and things like oh how many people this do that or whatever. So ultimately, we kind of just produce that data set for them and then they interpret it themselves, etc. But it comes to a point where after they look at the data, a wrong conclusion could have been made or the amount of impact or the the amount of data that presented itself isn't a significant portion of the whole population that's experiencing that problem that we're, might, we might be investigating in. So a thing that as data scientists, what we do is actually question what they're looking for so that we can make sure they're looking at the right statistic so that they're getting the most information as opposed to, you know, just the piece of information looking for it. So to parallel that to you is like, oh, or to my experience was like, oh, I'm looking to do roadcasting. How much is it? The manufacturer would be like, well, what are you trying to make? And then we'd tell them, we're trying to make this way. They'd be like, actually, you want to be using this thing and this process, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think that itself would have been a huge plus for us to, to you know, already focus us on the right track. Yeah, that's true. So at what stage... Um, I guess at the stage you start engaging with suppliers in Alibaba and, and you're going back and forth and obviously communication is a little bit of an issue. At what stage does Rohan approach you and say, hey, like my buddy's in China and, and he might be able to help us? It was during that time period, he did mention like, like, like briefly that you're working on um, sourcing and such, but I guess it didn't really mean much to us at that point because we couldn't see what extra value in our naivety, we didn't know what extra value can provide, but also we weren't sure if there's like a conflict of interest, if working with friends, et cetera, if how, how that works yeah. out. Um, that was very topical. It was, was, we didn't really think too heavily on it. Again, we, didn't sure, we weren't sure what kind of value a third party service has. Like we just thought it was an extra step, considering that we're trying to be very frugal at that point. Uh, we don't want mm-hmm. to add too much extra expense in the process, considering that I was willing to work extra hours and stuff to get it done, you know? I will. I will provide some context, uh, but I, I want you to. I want you to. So the, the next thing I want to ask is like, so at what stage did you realize? Okay, yeah, we need to. We need to bring some help on. Um. Yeah. Let me look at my timeline here. <laughs> One sec. I know that. I know that we started talking in March. Uh, I believe we started talking in March, and then or April, and yeah, then so. I think. I think the first payment that we received because it was all like my first payment in the company was like April. It was like, yeah, April 2015. Yeah, so, so here it shows like between June 2015, we hired SFA to be our reps in China. That's how it was written here. It could be, it could have been earlier, but um, yeah. So hang on, let me see. I want, I want to figure out what point, um, like what caused us to. <clears throat> so can I mention factories or should I say factory one, factory two? Uh, yeah, you can say the names. Like, I mean, it's fine. Um, maybe not 
the maybe not the final supplier that we worked with. Yeah, okay, it's cool because <laughs> uh, they're really, I mean, they're really professional and good, and I want people. Yeah, to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, we shouldn't really should talk to anyone too, though, right? So we should. Uh, well, I mean, and um, SRX, like, we gotta save people from working with that supplier, man. Like. It's, oh, it's, okay. It's fair. Civic, civic duty at this stage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fair. Okay. 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 Um, so Fongbo was the one we worked with. You never worked with them, right? Was, no, but I, then, I, uh, I definitely have come across them in my research efforts. So in March 2015, um, we were working with Fongbo. And at that point, that was a supplier we found through Alibaba. And what we try to do to kind of improve our ability to find suppliers was actually hire a third-party screening company called China Imperial. You know, you might know them. And yep. Yeah. So, so we did use them purely because um, they were very cheap and we thought it was very reliable. <laughs> so first of all, we asked them to look into a specific supplier. And then that was like, oh, okay, well, it was kind of iffy, so then we're like, "All right, let's." I think I, I think I remember. I, I think you had ordered a sort of like report from them, and then they screened a bunch of suppliers, and they gave you like uh, their recommendations. And I think um, SRX was one of the main ones. No, no, yeah, yeah. So, it's, okay, thanks for it because it's the words that um, the difference between screening and sourcing. So, um, yeah. so I asked them to. Well, it's it's kind of both, but it's it depends. Like, so what they were doing is they were doing research on like they're basically just doing research online remotely like anybody would do yeah to see um, if the bank account is real etc like if yeah, they're real yeah. company, if they're registered. Um, and we also we also do that the only difference is that um you know when we like if somebody orders like a report from us we do the same thing except we have a little bit more of a more extensive screening process Online and then also, but it, like working with you guys, for example, we actually physically went and visited the factory. So, it's, yeah, that's really, the bigger difference is like if you're working with like a sourcing company um, who's managing your entire process, then they should be physically going to visit the suppliers. Like screening them online sometimes isn't enough. But that's actually the funny part because what we did was we wanted like it's, give us sourcing for five factories because that's like their mm. their tier plan. Like you get five sourcing of. And we asked for toys and they're like, okay, these are the two factories that I think they're best on Alibaba. Can you screen these guys for me? And so they did a screening and did a report and they recommended that one of the factories is actually not suitable um, for toy manufacturing because they some certification might have been out of date or something like that. And then I later asked them to give me, all right, give me a list of suppliers then that you guys think would be good toy suppliers. And they freaking put that same company that I told them to source. <laughs> or to screen, and, and I was like, "What the hell?" Like, no, like so that's the thing. I paid them to look for that one, and they're like, "Don't use it." But then they're like, "Here are five. Here are the top five we have." So I feel like their data set wasn't huge enough, or something. It was, it's really mental. Yeah. Like, so we never, yeah, we like as soon as I got that, I just dropped them. I never used them again. <laughs> that was, that's I really, I really want to emphasize that just to let you know. But I don't know if that's. The, uh, it is what it is. That's public service there, right? So um, I mean, I'm not sure. It's funny because, like, since then, I've uh, I've actually worked with the uh, co-founder of, of of the company. Um, we just did some cross cross promotions. Seems like a good guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if they're. I'm not sure if they're still doing that particular service because I think they had quite a few issues um, with that. I think their focus now is more like. Uh, 
courses and, and selling like ebooks and stuff like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because like the, what what you're doing is actually what I would have preferred in that moment because, um, like, well, especially with you in your current state now, having so much more experience, understanding all the industries and all the different suppliers and what's a good supplier, et cetera. Like I know for sure you have really good understanding of that, of those differences. Like mm-hmm. what, what's written on paper is one thing, but actually understanding what a good, what makes up a good factory. It's like when you're on the, yeah. in the factory, it's a huge difference. Yeah. I think, I think um, something to keep in mind uh, for people that are listening is like when you're, when you're, I think I made a YouTube video saying when to hire a sourcing company, but, a lot of the sourcing companies that are foreign owned, a lot of them, their owners, the CEOs and, and, and sometimes management are not in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not, that's not a bad thing, but it, it could create a situation where certain reports that are made by their team are not cross-checked by somebody who's more senior. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's just something to keep in mind. Like obviously, with me, I'm not the one making reports anymore. But I do try either somebody like Imogen, who's our project manager and um, the second most uh, senior person in the company, and she's been to a ton of factories. She understands um, the differences between a good supplier and, and and you know she's helped create some of the standard operating procedures in the company. Mm-hmm. She's either going to cross reference it, or I'm go- cross check it, or I'm going to cross check the reports. So uh, it's just. You know, that's that's when something like that will happen. Is like they for the first one they said this is a good supplier, this one's not suitable, and then probably when you ask them to do research, one person, some um, like uh, data entry person in the company did research on five suppliers and then gave recommendations, and then probably the management didn't check it to see if mm-hmm. that was actually correct or not correct, and then you know that's that's kind of what happens. Yeah. Um, well. I don't know if you guys were there from the beginning. I think we would have avoided a lot of like back and forth and that year and a half that of development on the first product. Like that was majority of it was learning versus actual development. So we could have expedited that. And considering that we still have running costs and ongoing cost, uh, despite that, it was just me working on that project. Uh, that's still like we could have gone to market earlier. We could have figured out the market faster. And I think that, in retrospect, is valuable uh, enough to have hired you earlier on. I think the reason why we didn't hire you guys earlier on is because we didn't know that time is money. And well, we, I guess we did know time is money, but we didn't think that the value proposition was very different back then. So um, mm-hmm. if we knew that we can spend like thousand, two thousand dollars a month to cut off six months of time, I think that'd be worthwhile. Yeah, and I mean it's fine. Obviously, when when you're working with China for the first time, like you, it's this. You know, unknown unknowns, right? So it's yeah. like you don't know until until you go through it, and then I, I, that's for me. That's kind of like my my favorite type of client is the ones who have tried doing it by themselves, or people who have been sourcing from China by themselves for like years, and then they know kind of like how difficult it can be. Yeah, and, and sort of the the ins ins and outs and stuff like that. So then, by the time they work with us, it's like okay. Thank you know. Thank God that like we could just kind of like let these guys do their thing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess that would explain like it would be easier for them to explain why they're they're working with you. So yeah. So uh, Rohan. So at this stage, you've gone back and forth with with you know various companies and stuff. So then, so that's that's the time when you guys realized okay, we we kind of need to to bring on you know a different company to help us manage this. Yeah. Correct. And so um, 
We needed someone to represent us that had our best interest in mind. And so it was very easy for us to kind of trust you guys right from the beginning because you were there and you're very close with Rohan already. You guys will go way back, non-business related. So It's funny because so at the beginning, it was like, well, is there a conflict of interest? And then the fact that because, we, because Rohan's one of my best friends, but then the fact that I'm one of his best friends became an advantage, actually. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> funny <laughs> how that turned out. Yeah. That's that's how that's what he told me initially because I, I think I asked him that question. I was like, obviously, like you know, you're my first client. I, I don't have any experience with this at this stage. Obviously, Mike was there, um, who had like six, eight, six to eight years of experience at the time. So that was a big factor. But I asked him like why, and then he was like, well, you know, he just figured that. I think you. He said you were even looking at some other more experienced uh, sourcing companies, but you realized that you know no one would. Really care about the project as much as as much as I would. Yeah, exactly. Um, and which was the case, and and I you know quite honestly, the first <laughs> the first agreement that we had was severely underpaid. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but that was also a symptom of us being uh, pretty low on in in budget. Well, no, I also I also just didn't I didn't quote. Uh, correctly, um, and I mean it's it's just part of the game, right? Like it was my first time, so and actually it's a good thing because. I don't remember which book it was, but it's this this aspect of under promise over deliver. Yeah. So right, right. if if we had quoted like what I would normally quote now for that level of service, and then you know I was still learning how to do the how to not only you know source, but I was also learning how to like run a company at the same time. So obviously there's going to be you know mistakes along the way. Then it could have actually become a, a negative thing if you looked at it and said, hey, well we're paying these guys. You know, thousands of dollars a month, and you know we're not really getting the level of expertise or service um, yeah. that we should be getting. So, being paid whatever it was that we were paid, I, I know the number, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, be be that was actually a good thing because it was like, okay, you know, then you guys knew, okay, we're getting a good price for for the service, and then I was like working pretty much like I mean I was still teaching English at the time, but any time outside of teaching English, I was working on, on prodigy stuff. Yeah. So definitely felt like okay, these guys sh- I'm giving it my best. So they should be getting their money's worth. And then at the same time I had I didn't feel as much pressure um with the aspect of like, oh well, you know, I should be doing more because I'm getting paid X amount per month or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um yeah, so I just to give you some context around that time period. So I I met Mike China Mike um, in I think I met him in like November two thousand and fourteen, and then we'd worked on a few small projects together. Like I'd helped him source for some for one of his older clients. Um, I'd helped him, you know, for his one of his crowdfunding campaigns. I'd helped him do like outreach to influencers and stuff. So we were kind of like flirting with the idea of, of starting the company. And then um, I got really like anxious about that in, I think it would have been like February or March of 2015. And uh, I, told, I told Mike, I was like, yeah, I really want to get started. And then he was like, all right. So we started putting in the plans together and came up with an idea of like the structuring the, the agreement. And I, I think I just mentioned it to Rohan in passing. It wasn't even like I wasn't really trying to propose that we work together or anything like that. I just mentioned mm-hmm. like on one of our catch-up calls that, hey, this is what I'm doing. And then Rohan said, actually, by the way, like we are, we have been like working with China. And I asked if it was the 
if it was the sensors. And he was like, no, actually toys. And I was like, oh, that's it. And then I went back to Mike and I mentioned that, you know, you know, Rohan, that you guys were trying to source toys from China. And Mike was like, I've done toys before. You should go back to him and let him know, like, we should all put a call. And, and then I think that's when stuff started, the wheels started to, to turn into motion. And I remember, I actually remember the day when we had our call. It was, Mike had just come back from the US and I went to see him. Um, and we hopped in a call with, you, with Rohan. Were you, were you on the first call? I could be. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't really know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, but but I was. I mean, the there first for call was the calls, just yeah. like it was. Yeah, the first call was just like Rohan asking about Mike's experience and, um, you know, just sort of asking like what what we could do for you guys. Yeah, um, I think I might have been there, um, because yeah. I do remember him talking about his experience and like, um, uh, yeah, what what he can offer. Yeah, he's yeah. I, I I vaguely remember that, but I do remember we had quite a bit of discussions on those. Um, yeah, and I ba- I barely spoken <laughs> those yeah. those initial those initial calls, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I, actually I just double checked the the proposal that the first proposal that I sent. The date was June fifth, which I'm I'm surprised about because I in my mind I I always thought it was like May, um, you know, April May, but yeah, the date was June fifth, so. Yeah, and then uh, I think I think like a week later, Rohan, I, I sent over a proposal like uh, prompted by Rohan, and then you know we started working pretty soon after that. Yeah. Um. So my uh, one thing that I was curious about is like you mentioned having prototypes made in China. I thought so. When did you guys get a three D printer? So I got the three D printer actually right in that same month as we decided to make toys. Uh, it was in the September 2014 timeframe. And it seems like right from the get-go, we're pretty excited to get that uh, up and running because we knew that would probably be integral into our whole development process. Um, yeah, because when we started working together, you guys already had a 3D printer and, and you were able to send prototypes pretty quickly, which was, which was pretty awesome as well because I think that sped up, that sped up the, uh, the process quite a bit. Yeah, we had to set up a DHL account and normally it would be like two-day shipping over. So if mm-hmm. we ever had a revision or something that had to be changed, then uh, we try it out on our end, 3D print it within the day, depending on how fast our 3D modeler gets back to us, unless if it's something I can do. And then within the week, we'd have a new prototype sent to China for them to review and to see if they can make the mold or adjustments to it, etc. Yeah. So let's, I guess, uh, moving forward. So the first toy, Big Hex, took a year, a little bit over a year of, of development once we started working together. Um, yeah. once we started, yep. So we started working with SRX initially. I want to talk about, you know, what happened with, with them. Can you say why you felt like SRX was like a good supplier initially? Yep. Um, I think because was their volume was large enough, they were very confident in verbally saying that they could do what we wanted to do. And also, we didn't really understand what a good, strong toy or what our safety standards were at that point. Uh, we know we set them, but we didn't really know what it meant physically, what it looked like. When you set these certain thresholds, when you actually do something to that, like if you throw a toy down really hard, you know mm-hmm. how much you feel it would have taken, but... When you actually do a pull test, you don't know what that translates to. So it's kind of hard to make that call of saying, you know, this is how much we need to make sure it's safe. So, um, and all the samples or prototypes we had up until that point was all 3D printers, 3D printed versions, and they're not broken down in the same way it would have been done in the 
actual manufacturing process. So yeah. having not been able to know or not being too into the industry yet, we don't really know what these thresholds mean and what the model has to look like to accommodate these kind of manufacturing features to accommodate those safety standards that we're setting out. If you recall, like later or ultimately our safety standards are actually four times what the U.S. and Canadian um, safety standards are. So we actually were pretty adamant about having very high safety standards. And we made it very clear to SRX about that. And they were very confident and very uh, agreeable to making sure that that happens. But they didn't ultimately really deliver on that because once they made the molds, the kind of alterations required to make it strong was not really there and they didn't really want to redo the whole mold because it would take a lot of time and money and obviously they probably feel like we wouldn't pay too much to get those alterations done yeah i was gonna say so um also it it kind of speaks to their mold makers if they kind of know what kind of standards we're expecting they should have already set up front well that's definitely not going to hold in my experience you need this kind of recess and this much of this toy has to go into the other toy to make sure that the toy can hold to those standards we we also had because I, I you know you guys were engaged with SRX already when we came onto a project and I think we you also had the the, the a tight deadline right because I think you were trying to hit the the Christmas crunch yeah. um, so I'd say from from my side of things in terms of uh, me being inexperienced at the time um, I remember Mike saying like hey we need to get some backup options and I remember proposing that but then of course the timing was off because if we spent we wanted to spend like a month, you know, researching new suppliers and visiting them. And that was going to obviously, you know, mess up, mess up your, your timeline. So we, we pushed forward with SRX, but I remember, I remember like when we went there, I couldn't really put a, a finger on it, but I just remember feeling like, you know, something's a little bit off here. Um, and then at the same time, so this is again, going back to my, my inexperience at the time I've learned uh, not to do that now is like, I should have been more adamant about, about saying like, hey, I don't think that these guys can meet your requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even though obviously you might, you might not be able to make the Christmas period, like we should be definitely like, you know, working with a different supplier. Um, so just to give people some context in terms of what was wrong with, with that factory, when we went there in terms of the, the actual appearance, um, it was a pretty, very small place. So for the amount of volume that they were promising, yeah, and, and even just the things that they said they were doing, for example, they said they make the molds in-house and things like that. They didn't have enough space to have a mold-making facility. Um, and then just the factory was was tiny. So for them to do the production the way they said they were going to do it, it, it was, was not correct. Um, and actually, I found out when we started communicating with other suppliers later on, like SRX is kind of famous for this. Like they've, <laughs> they quite often take on clients and things like that and then maybe outsource the, the work to other suppliers um, depending on how big the client is like if they know because they know that they, they can't necessarily match certain standards so when they get larger clients they usually outsource it to some of the bigger suppliers um, and then you know they had this reputation of, of you know making poor quality products um, so it's just things like that like you gotta be careful when you're, when you're talking to suppliers for the first time I think SRX had one of the best sales, uh, like marketing online profiles. Like their their website on Alibaba was really clean, and 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 you know they had amazing product photos and really intricate toys and things like that on the, on their website. And then um, the salesperson that we were talking to, Dawson, yeah. he who ironically became like the factory manager at some point. I think he became the GM. Um, 
he was like again you know very like a very good sales guy you know um but once we took on the project like once he took on the project and once we started working with him he became completely like unresponsive um so it was just there was a, there was a lot of issues there then i think yeah the first samples we received off of the mold you know they basically fell apart like without much <laughs> without much uh force or you know testing yeah yeah, there's actually a thing we call the Rohan test or a place where yeah. uh, if Rohan, it, for some reason, when he holds things, it, it was falling out of his hands for no reason. He was even trying to drop it, but they just fell out of his hand and it would break. <laughs> and so we call that the Rohan test and infamously, I guess. But like any of the toys we made after SRX seemed to have been a bit better and passed the Rohan test. So that was uh, September 2015, I noted down here. Um, the, yeah, so when When... When what? September 2015 was when, when we received the SRX. first samples? Yeah, the samples SRX uh, from yeah. SRX were not meeting our standards. So, so, so at um, that stage, that's the st- like, so you guys are having internal. I remember like you, uh, I got an email from Rohan um, saying, hey, we need to shift suppliers. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard decision for us because we know we're going to be missing that December timeline. And it, to, yeah. I guess, put in context of how our business was running, we're like, we're not. I mean, we're doing pretty good right now, but at that time, we're like, eh, like the amount of the the proposition or the amount of money we'd be making from toys would be pretty significant. And for us to miss that Christmas time frame felt like it would be a big deal for us to miss. So uh, there's a lot of pressure from us to make sure that we get things set up and done and figure out what's the best solution to maintain that timeline. But then ultimately, you had to think about what's the ultimate goal and then keep that idea in mind of like, you know, you want to make sure your product is safe. It represents your company well, and you want to minimize any downstream like effects of having a bad product. So ultimately, that was kind of how that started. Where we're like, ultimately, you have to make that call. You got to make sure you do the right thing and don't cut corners. And I think we don't regret any of that from from that moment. So yeah, at this stage, we start looking into new suppliers, um, and then. I'm forgetting the Huame. Yeah, I think Huame was. Yeah, Huame. Yeah. So then we came across Huame, which is one of the, the largest uh, factories for toys in China. Um, yeah. Really liked them. Uh, really, you know, thought they were a good good supplier. Um, very large. Like we went to their their. They had like this gigantic meeting room. The factory was like five floors large and all that stuff. And I think. The issue we had two issues in that situation. One, the salesperson that we were working with, the sales manager, he was actually um, he actually used to manage the Chinese mass productions. So they had obviously the foreign sales and then the local sales, and obviously the standards for toys in China are different from the standards for toys in in the West. So that was one issue, and then the second issue was that we were we were carrying this this mold from SRX, um, and that mold was from Huame and the the factory we ended up using in the end, both factories said that the quality of that mold just wasn't there. I think um, SRX had used like a very cheap grade of stainless steel, mm-hmm. um, and then even just the structure of the mold was not was not really that good. So I think again, in an effort to try to make the the, the Christmas deadline, we didn't want to make a new mold, so we asked them to edit the the current mold and improve on it. Yeah, and so. Uh, yeah, we finally did do um, the QC in December where we made already 1,800 toys. 
Mm-hmm. And it did somehow pass um, SGS testing in November that we did earlier. But uh, in, anyway, so we still proceeded with that production. And right to, until the end, that was the second call where we were actually like, we need to cancel this and revise the mold. Like we have to actually completely stop this with this mold and start mm-hmm. from scratch. Um, I think it was under Huami's um, advice as well near the end where they're like, yeah, like if we're going to actually keep doing this, like if we really want to deliver it properly, we're going to have to remanufacture this whole mold. and um yeah again like i think that was a good decision in that moment yeah they said they said it from the beginning um and just to give some context the reason why we ended up leaving huame was just because the relationship broke down um mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that we didn't think that they could they could produce good quality product it's just the relationship broke down um the guy that we were dealing with we realized that he really just didn't pay attention to to the production once it started um so we were looking for one, a factory that was obviously, we felt like, okay, maybe we were a little bit too small for these guys. So maybe you should find a slightly smaller factory or at least find a factory that has um, a salesperson who, a sales manager who's extremely experienced, but is also like involved in the day-to-day production management. Um, and I don't, I don't think Kwame was ever going to be that for us unless we were doing, you know, 100,000 units or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the reason why we shifted from them. And then, we, I think it just it just happened to be around that time of the year, January. There's a toy fair. Um, it's held in different locations, but at that time it was in Hong Kong. And Mike proposed to you guys that you know he could go to the toy fair and, and you know for a day and see if we could source some suppliers. And uh, Rohan Rohan agreed. You guys agreed, and then Mike went down, and we ended up finding um, this really really solid factory that. Yeah, ended up working with for the next two years. Yeah. Also, a side note: keep in mind throughout this whole process, we are also also sourcing and developing our packaging, and mm-hmm. so we did go through a couple packaging Package, manufacturers. manufacturers well. Yeah. 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 The first one, VIP, was uh, was a factory that we'd worked with in the past, um, and I think the only reason why we didn't continue working with them was that they didn't they didn't have a variable data printer. Yeah. And, they weren't willing to. That was funny. They weren't even willing for you because I think you proposed maybe buying one for them. Yeah, <laughs> and and they said no. It was a yeah. It was an interesting interesting time period. But yeah, then um, I think yeah, we ended up researching other packaging factories, and I, I reached out to my guy Tiger, um, and Tiger Tiger um, connected us to another factory. So Tiger is I've been, I think I've mentioned him on the podcast before, but he's uh he's also he's a local sourcing agent. He's a Chinese sourcing agent. Um, really cool guy. Yeah, really, really cool guy. He's like, I guess, one of my good friends in China and also kind of like a little bit of a business partner. And uh, his experience lies in the shoe industry mostly, but because, you know, when you run a trading company in, in China, whether you're a local or you're a foreigner, like you're going to be, you're going to meet a lot of people in the industry and you're going to have connections to different factories. So like a lot of times when I have a very, very specific request and I want to find factories that are not listed online. I, I I will talk to Tiger and see if he has any any people he could introduce me to. So that's what happened when we were looking for a manufacturer, a printer, a, a packaging factory that had a variable data printer. Mm-hmm. So um, Mike comes across across Nancy. I think he ended up visiting their factory, and this was all just before Chinese New Year. So it was like I think we were able to like sign a contract with them and we paid them a deposit for 
the mold before Chinese New Year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yep. But then they only started, they only started uh, creating a new mold after Chinese New Year. So we kind of got Huame to make the mold, the, set, the revision of the mold. And when it was done, we asked them to move it to the new manufacturer or final yeah. manufacturer. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the final factory, um, they just basically said, we can't use this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we got to make a new one. And it wasn't even just about, obviously it was about the quality of the mold, but it was also the construction of the mold. They said that if they were making a mold themselves, they would, they would construct it completely differently. So, um, you know, we just ended up having to, to bite the bullet and make a new mold. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they started making it in February. Like you said, we paid them before Chinese New Year. So I guess it's kind of like, a, it's actually interesting because when we're writing out our contracts or our sales contracts, we always want to make sure we have leverage in our process, but they also ask for us to make sure we give them enough money to so they can buy the materials and all that. It comes to a point where we're always negotiating to see how, like what's the minimum amount we can give such that we still have enough leverage afterwards. And yeah, yeah and so th- often that took the most amount of time. But ultimately, in the end, it seems like if you find a good supplier, they're really not trying to screw you over. You're just to make sure that things are okay on their side. And also you have to keep in mind that both sides are figuring out each other out because it's a risk for you, but it's a risk for them as well. Sure. And so um, but ultimately, like things turn out well. And um, yeah, so I mean, there's things that happen, but yeah, anyway. All right, guys, thanks for listening to part one of this retrospective that I did with Brian Paration from Prodigy Game. I hope you really enjoyed it. I think there's a ton of fantastic knowledge, uh, not just from the manufacturing side, but also from a business and, and business standpoint in terms of how you know a startup business like mine develops um, literally off of one client and how that relationship can evolve into what it is today. And uh, in part two, part three, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, part two, we discussed how our first successful production run went and how we sort of developed that relationship with the suppliers. And then in part three, we talked about the expansion, the the other toys that we ended up developing and the further systems that developed over the, you know, two to two and a half to three years that we were working with these factories and how you start to leverage those relationships. And yeah, so part two will be coming up next week. If you like this podcast, you can go to sourcefinasia.com slash made in China for the show notes. Um, Please feel free to reach out um, at podcast at sourcefinasia.com. And Brian, if if people wanted to reach out to you, how could they they find you? Social media? Uh, It's it's just uh, brian.toymakers at gmail.com. Okay, cheers. Uh, lifestyle of the young black and genius Sun strapped with guns, packing jeans And the blunts got my lungs black and cheesy Played with killers, hung at a slung crack for leisure And tell a nigga run that, get gun clap for sneakers Young niggas emulate what's coming out the speakers So everything we learned came from rappers, not teachers Cause if we can't relate, then how the hell you gonna reach us? Surrounded by crooked cops and preachers Who am I trusting? No time to think about illegal when your stomach's touching By any means, nigga, even if the gun is busting I see the world for what it is now I see the odds is looking slim for our kids now Cause uh, it wasn't set up for my people to rise My niggas slain, but I see the pain deep in their eyes Niggas living like they don't give a fuck And I don't blame them, it's a cold world Live it up, damn